Let me ask you to turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. And while you're turning there, I just want to tell you how encouraging it was to be here yesterday and to see a steady stream of people coming in to pray for the church family. Uh, it's usually pretty quiet here on, on Saturday, and that's fine, but uh, it was a, a wonderful thing and such an encouragement to me to see so many that participated, and I know that uh, there were even more that were praying at home. And I heard again and again how meaningful it was to the people who came how wonderful it was just to be here quietly in the sanctuary and praying. Uh, and uh, I would encourage you to take part in uh, the next opportunity. We had a, a prayer walk on uh, Thursday evening, which also was a, a wonderfully encouraging time to uh, uh, pray about where God is leading us uh, with our building and to continue to capture a vision for that. We've had kind of strange titles for sermons, and if you, you're visiting with us, I want to explain that, the whole idea of here and now. It is a theme of a stewardship season, a stewardship focus that we are having right now uh, for the next uh, couple of weeks, and uh, it's pertaining to where we believe as a congregation God has led us, and that is toward uh, adding on to this building for facilities for youth and fellowship and uh, worship and arts ministry and doing remodeling. And uh, the, it, we call it here and now because we are committing to this place. And we believe that uh, God has called us for such a time as this, ministering to, to people in our community, this community. Uh, for those who need Christ and those who are far from him. And so God has placed us for unique reason. Now, the first couple weeks of uh, uh, this series, we've been talking about grace giving. And we call it that because we, we want the focus always here, as it is every single week, to be upon God's grace. And we believe even in our giving, as it, it was so clear in uh, 2 Corinthians 8, that our giving is based upon the grace of God shown to us, given to us in the gospel. We read in that wonderful verse in chapter 8, verse 9, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. And that's what it goes back to. That's the foundation of it. That's our motivation as, uh, as we seek to be faithful in our giving. Christ gave his all to us. We too should be givers as a reflection of who he is. And then the application, the first week, I just ask everyone to do one thing, and that is to... Ask God to give you a heart that wants to give. Don't worry about amounts. Don't worry about uh, how much or anything like that. Ask him to give you a heart that wants to give. That's where it all starts. Him transforming our hearts in that way. Then last week, 
we saw that the Bible doesn't call for equal giving, but equal sacrifice. Again, it is by his grace. But the, the scripture here talks about proportionate giving. And that God's not so much concerned about amounts as he is about proportion of what he has given to us. And then I, I ask you to pray that same prayer that God would give you a heart that wants to give. And then to add to that, Lord, what do you want to do through me to help accomplish your will for our church? What is it, God, that you want to do through me to help accomplish your will for St. Andrew's Presbyterian Church? Now, today we're going to take that next step. And we are going to step out in, for the next step in giving by faith. Now, by its very nature, it's going to be different for virtually everyone in here. Because for some of you, you are just at the edge of beginning to understand and realize the joy of giving and you, you want to start. You want to start. And so that will be a step of faith for others of you. It will be adjusting your attitude about your giving. For some of you, it may be reviewing how you spend and save and borrow and how maybe you have gotten yourself all tied up to where you don't have the freedom to give even though God is giving you more and more a heart for that. I will tell you, whatever step God leads you in, by faith, you will be blessed. And it is, for most of us, a progressive thing as we learn these things. Let's read our text. It is in 2 Corinthians 9, beginning with verse 6. The point is this, he says, Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has made up his mind, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all, all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he is distributed freely. He's given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You'll be enriched in every way for all your generosity, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission flowing from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your 
contribution for them and for all the others while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Indeed, thanks be to you, O God, for your inexpressible gift, and that is the gift of salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. You've shown us again, that's the foundation, even as we consider giving. And so, Lord, we pray that that would be where we begin, out of a heart of gratitude, of thanksgiving to you. And so we come before you with open hearts. Will you give us open hands? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, last week we talked about how God had emphasized that we are to make a conscious decision as we think about what we are to give. That it's not about an emotional decision uh, or Uh, me or anyone else manipulating you. God doesn't do that. In fact, he says, decide. Make a conscious decision. Each one must give, he says in verse 7, as he has decided in his heart. So we're going the next step and say, okay, if we're going to make this conscious decision, on what do we base that decision. We need to begin to think about, okay, well, what does he want me to give? I want to give. I want to take a next step in faith. I don't know how far that will be yet. God, give me the faith for that. How do I decide? I want to continue on as we work our way through these passages and see the principles he gives us for giving. First of all, the law of the harvest. Look at verse 6. says, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Some have called that the law of proportional reward. Now here's the easy way to understand this. When we moved into our home that we had built, it was uh, uh, about four years ago, and it was a new home, and they did what uh, most builders uh, will do. They put down sod in the front, looked beautiful, a little bit on the side, and then behind that, they threw a little bit of grass seed, you know, and so in You know, as soon as that all died out, when it started to get the least bit warm, I had just dirt there and in my backyard. Now, I had planned for the next spring to put in some sod. I call sod instant grassification. Isn't that a good... (laughs) I thought of that one time. I thought... But I had planned uh, to do that. But in the meantime, there we were with just dirt. When it would rain, it would be just mud. But you know what? 
I didn't expect anything else. I didn't, ha- I didn't have a right to expect anything else because I had not put down seed. And so I was getting the reward that I deserved in my yard. We get that. We understand that. You know that if you don't plant seed for a garden, you won't get vegetables from that plot of land. Or if you don't put down flower seed, you won't get flower. We understand that. We don't even question that one bit. We say that is a basic law of nature. And it is. And God says that's actually how this works. Now, how does that apply, though? Here he's talking about giving. Seems like we're uh, maybe beginning to get on some dangerous ground here, aren't we? It seems that in this passage, this law of the harvest teaches that there is a divine reward for faithful giving. And it does teach that. Now, how is that different than what you hear me speak about often in a a negative way, the health and wealth gospel? Where you see preachers on TV, like I I always like to use Reverend Ike because you don't hear about him much anymore. But he used to say, he used to get on the radio and he'd say, you love your money and your money will love you. And he would, uh, he would have all these testimonies on his radio program. Uh, I used to listen to it when I was on my way to Missouri Baptist College, and I would listen to him. And he would, he would have people uh, give testimonies, and they would say, uh, he, he offered this oil that you could uh, purchase from him for a certain price. And people would call in, and they'd say, Oh, Reverend Ike, I put that uh, oil on my old broken down Volkswagen and now I'm driving a Cadillac. Uh, It's wonderful. And, you know, and he would say, just send in your five dollars and and he would send them back probably uh, three cents worth of uh, Crisco oil, I imagine, was in there. I don't know. But he was using this same principle. He was. In fact, these same verses. Say, look what it says here. You give a little bit and God's going to give you a bunch more. So how does what I'm saying, that there is divine reward for faithful giving, differ from Reverend Ike or those that are more current? Well, it's true that Paul is saying that uh, this is one investment that you will not lose on. But he is not saying you'll get richer. Not at all. God supplies. Not so we can have a whole bunch more money. Not so we can have uh, a bunch more cars and so on. Bigger houses. Build our own wealth. He supplies so that we can give more. Now, are any of those things I just mentioned wrong or sinful? No, not in and of themselves. Don't hear that. And yet, 
We are not to give in order to build our own little kingdom. You know how John Wesley applied that? He said, here's what I think we should do. Make all you can, save all you can, and give all you can. It's real simple for him. He didn't have any problem with making. And in his day, by the time he was done with his wonderful ministry, he was a wealthy man by some standards in England. But at Oxford, he figured out he could live on about 28 pounds per year. I won't, we won't try to figure out what, how much money that was. About 28 pounds per year. And uh, one year he made 30 pounds, so he gave those other two pounds to the Lord. And then he made more money the next year. And so he had a choice to make. What is it? Well, the choice he made was, I can live on 28 pounds. So he lived on 28 pounds and he gave the rest to the Lord. And he continued to do that. One year he made 1,400 pounds. And he gave all but about 30, 35 to the Lord. Now, that may not be exactly your calling, but that's how he applied this. He said, I think God wants me to make money, as he did through writings and various things like that. But he gives, gives it to me, and then I give back to him. The next principle here is that God is the owner of everything. Look at verse 8. God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, uh, you may abound in every good work. And then verse 10. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing. See, there it is. He'll give it to you so you can sow and increase the harvest of your righteousness. And just increase how much money you get. And that's the difference right there. He's the supplier of our giving because he owns everything. So anything we give, we've got to start with that principle in mind. Everything I have is God's. And you know what? If you really believe that, you will experience a freedom with your possessions that you will not experience when you're trying to hang on to them. But if everything, if you really believe everything I have is God's, then what do you got to lose? Some have put it this way, you can't outgive God. It's almost like supply and demand, but I would call it demand and supply. He sees as we desire to give, he blesses us and enables us to give to him in worship. And every time we give, we are acknowledging, Lord, this is yours anyway. I return it to you. And that changed the whole idea of sacrifice. 
because we realize he did all the sacrificing for us. And then further, we are stewards. He owns everything, but we are the stewards. Verse 11, you'll be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. Again, uh, we're made rich so that we can share. And, you know, that's a principle we need to, to begin to grasp. Every financial decision is a spiritual decision. If everything we own is from God. So every time you decide what you will give, how will you will make use of things, what you will purchase, it becomes a spiritual decision because we say, okay, God, this is your money. I want to be a responsible steward of what you have given to me. I will someday be accountable for what you have given to me. And so you see that, that it's not just a material decision. It's a spiritual decision. Because we're dealing with something that God owns. You might say, well, you know, doesn't that kind of take the fun out of giving then? Because we're going to talk in a minute about, you know, the, the, the fun part of giving. You know, if it's all his anyway and so on. Well, think of it this way in terms of giving only what he's given to us. You who have little children or grandchildren, you know what that's like. If they give you something for Christmas, most of the time, how do they do that? Well, you give them the money to give you something, right? That's how it worked when I was a kid. My mom would... You know, she had this bank thing where you put in a quarter every week. And so at Christmas, I would get, she would hand me, you know, however many quarters you build up from a year and, and so on. And then I would go buy things for people. But the, all that money came from her and I would buy her something. That didn't take one ounce of joy out of my giving. It was fun. And that's how it is with this. No, it doesn't steal our joy when we say it's all God's. In fact, I took pleasure in giving something to my mom because she had given me that. Now, look at the, the, the overriding attitude in terms of giving. There, there's several things mentioned here. Um, one thing is eagerness. Verse 1 and 2. Now, it is superfluous for me to write to you about the ministry of the saints, for I know your readiness of which I boast about you to the people of Macedonia, saying that Achaia has been ready since last year and your zeal has stirred up most of them. I told you about being encouraged about the, the prayer yesterday. I'm encouraged as well in terms of the eagerness I am seeing with people. You know, we, we had our missions conference. And here we had a Sunday for faith mission giving. Makes no sense. You know, if you're, if you're strategizing, it just doesn't make sense to 
say, okay, what are you going to give over the next year for faith, mission giving, and to ask people for that right before you enter into a stewardship campaign for a building. And yet, we know that God has called us to global missions. And so, here is what I was thinking. I was thinking, you know what? If, if we could just kind of hold our own with faith mission giving, you know, maybe, maybe people would commit to what they committed to last year, or even if it was a little bit less, we could still cover our missionaries and maybe not do as many special projects. That was my thinking because my faith is too weak, okay? But just sitting there trying to figure it out. And so, what did God decide to do? He moved hearts in this church. He moved hearts to where, even knowing that we are entering into this building thing and we have our ongoing regular needs in the church, he moved hearts to up their faith mission giving this year. Now, to me, there is no explanation for that except God is working in the hearts of people here at St. Andrew's Presbyterian Church. There is no other explanation than that. I believe that's what Paul was rejoicing in, that kind of an eagerness And that's what we're seeing. And then he talks about uh, the cheerfulness. Verse 7, each one must give what he has decided in his heart, as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. The word in the original, I know you've heard this before, is hilaron. That's where we get our word hilarious. God loves a cheerful giver. Hilarious in terms of our giving. You know, personally, I'm not a very good buyer. It it takes me a a long time to kind of pull the trigger in to buy something. I'm one of those kind. And then I very quickly often have buyer's remorse Maybe you're that way, or you, you know, you're married to somebody that way, which would be even more frustrating, I have to tell you. I often have buyer's remorse. But I can tell you, I have never once had giver's remorse. Not because I gave too much. I have had it because I haven't given as generously as I could have. He talks about uh, uh, this hilarious kind of giving. I want to take you to a passage, and it's way back in Deuteronomy. And I think it'll surprise you in Deuteronomy 14. It's talking about the tithes of God's people. And I'm going to go ahead and start reading from it uh, while you're turning there, Deuteronomy 14.22, he says, You shall tithe all the yield of your seed that comes from the field year by year. 
Here he's saying you need to tithe. But before the Lord your God in the place that he will choose to make his name dwell there, you shall eat the tithe of your grain, of your wine and of your oil and the firstborn of your herd and flock, that you may learn to fear the Lord your God always. And then he says, if the way is too long for you, this verse 24, so that uh, you're not able to carry the tithe when the Lord your God blesses you because the place is too far, which the Lord your God chooses to set your name there, then you shall turn it into money and bind up the money in your hand and go to the place that the Lord your God chooses and spend the money for whatever you desire oxen or sheep or wine or strong drink, whatever your appetite craves, and you shall eat there before the Lord your God and rejoice, you and your household. Now, if that's the first time you've ever read that or heard that, it may, may have been hard to kind of grasp what he's saying. Here's what he's saying. Let me paraphrase it. Take your tithe and have a party. In this case, this isn't a principle, but in this case, he was saying, I want you to to tithe as I've been teaching you. But then he surprised him. And he said, I want you to use that and enjoy it and buy food and wine and have the best of everything and enjoy it and rejoice in that. Now that's hilarious giving. I think here's the point. When we give, we should give as if we were going to reap every benefit ourselves. Now, that sounds selfish. But I think here, he's saying, be as joyful as if you were spending it on yourselves and your family when you give. Someone said, give until it hurts. Then give until it stops hurting. Then give until you start laughing and that laughter will please God. Because God loves a cheerful giver. Now what could the incentive for someone to give that way be? One one final thing. Look at the safety net of giving. Because I am quite sure that some of you are nervous about this. Some of you are saying, you know what, this, this has uh, this become a burden. I'm worried about this. I don't know where any money can come from and so on. I don't know how I can, I want to participate. I think it's a, it, it will be a, a, a great thing for the ministries at St. Andrew's Presbyterian Church. But I just don't know how I can. He will increase, it says, and enlarge the harvest. Verse 10. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. Philippians 4, verse 19. My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. He will supply your needs and give you more to give. I don't know how that works, but I do know that I've experienced it. So, what is the next step for you?
I can't answer that. I don't know what you give. I don't know what you're grappling with in terms of your giving. For some of you, it may be to learn to give. For some of you, to learn to give cheerfully. For some, it's to step out in faith and give. I want to encourage you to pray those two prayers we had for the last two weeks. Pray that the Lord will, will you give me a heart that wants to give? Start there and continue to pray that. And then secondly, Lord, what do you want to do through me to help accomplish your will for our church here? And then thirdly, add this. Lord, will you give me a cheerful heart as I consider giving to you? I was burdened by thinking about how we're going to give toward this. This study has helped me. It has relieved that burden in being reminded of how it works with God. And then just looking back at our lives and seeing how many times when we have stepped out on faith, God has supplied so that we could have the joy of giving. And that's where it makes it possible to give cheerfully. Little five-year-old girl, her name was Janie. She went to the store. She saw some pearls there like little girls sometimes do, you know, in the toy section. She just really, really wanted them. Her mom said, okay, well, I'll give you some extra chores and your birthday's coming up. Maybe you can get a dollar from your grandma and so on. She went home and emptied her piggy bank and there was 17 cents in there and she added that and eventually she got the dollar 59 for these beautiful pearls. She wore them all the time. Except her mom wouldn't let him wear, her wear them in the bathtub because she said your neck will turn green, so you can't do that. Her dad went to say goodnight to her. And he said, Janie, do you, do you love me? Well, of course I do. He said, will you give me your pearls? She said, oh, not those, Daddy. You know, you can, you can have some of these other toys, but not the pearls. He said, okay, good night, I love you. The next night he did the same thing. And one more night. And then the next day he came home from work and Janie was sitting there and she was crying. And in her hand was the little tin box with the pearls. And she said, Daddy, I love you here. He took the pearls and he reached into his coat pocket and pulled out a velvet, black velvet box that had real pearls in it. And he gave it to little Janie. He was just waiting 
for her to give up the dime store stuff so that he could give her the genuine treasure. If you let go, you will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. Let's bow together. Lord, we we hang on so tightly to the little dime store stuff that we think we've earned. And yet you so desire, because of your great love for us, to help us experience so much more. Again, Lord, will you help us to open up our hands to you? Give us hearts that want to give. What is it, Lord, that you want to do through us to help accomplish your will for our church? Will you give us cheerful hearts as we consider giving to you? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.